We're going to start out this morning uh, reading our scripture. It's going to be Matthew chapter 25, verse uh, 31 through 46. So if you want to go ahead and get your Bibles out and go ahead and turn to that. If you don't have your Bibles, you can pull out your phones, your tablets, and go to mygrace.church. You can follow along in the notes there, or of course, just read it up on the screen. Um, Before we get into that, though, I kind of want to give you some direction of where it is I'd like to take you this morning. We're coming off of a series called Bumper Stickers that Pastor Dave has uh, taken us through. And each week has kind of built on the next. And a couple weeks that really spoke out to me the most were the ones on brokenness and then how that translates into how we're supposed to understand our givenness. But I felt like I really didn't want to just leave it at we're broken so that we can be given. I'd like us to take time today to really fully understand what it means to embrace that givenness, taking it to the next step. What does it mean that we are given and how do we do it? And maybe what some of the implications of doing it right or wrong could be. So you can follow along with the verse with me. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered in his presence And he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you in the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, but you invited me into your home. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink, or even a stranger and show you hospitality, or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you a sick or in prison and come and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Then the king will turn to those on the left and say, away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. For I was hungry, and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty, and you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger, and you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked, and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison, and you didn't visit me. Then they will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty, a stranger or naked or sick or in prison, and not help you? And he will answer, I tell you the truth, when you refused to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters. You were refusing to help me. Father God, may the meditation of my mind and my heart and the words from my lips seek to only give what you would have for us this morning. Amen. Before we kind of dive into that scripture verse, I'd like to take a moment and just kind of catch up with you. Talk to you all about my last couple of weeks. Maybe you can relate just in my last couple of weeks, they've kind of been a mess. They've been all over the place. I've had really high highs the last few weeks. I've had some really low lows. 
A lot of that has to do with some things going on in my personal life, but it's not just that. Because it isn't just my personal life where I've experienced these things. It's been with your lives, too. The things that you've shared with me, the things that you're struggling with, and the things that you're going through. I've been able to celebrate with some victories in people's lives. And I've also been a shoulder to cry on because that's, frankly, all that I was good enough for in that situation. But one thing that I noticed, whether we were struggling with uh, low lows or experiencing some high highs, is there was one kind of common theme that crept into all of them. And that theme was worry. Didn't seem to matter if myself or my friends were going through something good or if they were going through something bad. Worry was a part of the conversation. If things were going really well, then worry crept into the conversation because what if things stop going so well? What if things don't continue down the path that they're continuing down? What if this really bright and shiny object that I have now that I love and I adore in 10 years isn't so bright and shiny? Then what happens to that happiness? And of course, people that are experiencing trauma or other negative times in their life wonder, when is it going to stop? They worry that it's not going to stop. The problem with worry is that it leads to doubts and fears. And fear can cripple us. Fear can paralyze us. That's where I want to take us today. When we become paralyzed in fear, it can stop us from being able to live the life that God intended us to live. It can stop us from experiencing all the things that God has for us to experience. If we can't truly understand that our brokenness is a way that we're meant to better understand the lives of the others around us as well as ourselves, then I don't know that we're ever really going to be able to understand what our givenness is and what that's supposed to look like. So our big idea for the day, we are given to reflect God's incredible love to others so that they can come to know their own identity in Jesus. But your identity as a child of God is not complete if you don't fully understand your givenness. Your givenness is there because we might be the only Jesus that people ever meet. The way we see ourselves, the way that others see us, the way that we see others are all connected together. If we can't understand this whole identity um, whom God has made us to be and be able to see others in the same light, then this whole living life together thing and relationship thing probably won't, out, won't work out too well. Our first point today is this. Most importantly, do not neglect whom God created you to be. When somebody criticizes us, we forget who God created us to be. When we criticize other people, we're forgetting who God created them to be. And of course, it's all the same. The way that he created us is to be his blessed children. And that's exactly the way 
that God has created whoever the other in our lives as well. It still bugs me today that among one of the more popular reasons that people say they don't come to church is because of, anybody have a guess? Us! Christians! Ah, frustrates me. When, when I talk to some teenagers that aren't church teenagers and, and ask them why they're not interested in exploring God or coming to church, it rarely has anything to do with belief or not belief in God. It's because they know a Christian. It's because they see that their lives probably aren't mirroring some of what it is that they're preaching. And if they're if a Christian stating they believe it, and still aren't out doing what it is that they're supposed to be doing, then why would they ever try it? There's no difference. Mahatma Gandhi once said in an interview that he liked our Christ, but he did not like our Christians. He likes our Christ, but he does not like our Christians. That stings. It stings. But it also shows how I think Jesus and Gandhi and a lot of other philosophers and um, theology experts throughout time have come to understand our relationships with each other. And that's that the way that we see ourselves and the way that we see others makes a profound difference on how we're living out our lives and the impact that we can take. If you've been coming to Grace for a long time, you probably know a bit of my story. Maybe you don't know all of it, but you know some of it. Um, for those of you that are new, I'll give you a little bit of backstory. Um, I've been coming here since 16-ish, off and on. Um, and the reason why I started coming here wasn't because I was a Christian and I had a family uh, built into this church. It was because I had a girlfriend that insisted that the only way I could keep her as a girlfriend was if I started coming to church, or at least tried it out. Okay? And I decided that it was a pretty convincing ultimatum, so I decided to come and check things out. And at first, I wasn't driving with grace at all. I had never experienced evangelical Christian culture, or what a, an evangelical church was. There were people banging on drums and electric guitars, ponytails and everything. I couldn't do it. I could not do it. Couldn't do it at all. But there was one sermon one day from Pastor Scott, sitting right over there, that I felt compelled. I was going to do this. I was going to do this Jesus thing. I was going to take it seriously for the first time in my life. But that didn't mean I was going to stay here. I still kind of pieced out from grace, and I went with my dad uh, to a church on the east side, more comfortable with it. That's actually the church that I became baptized in. That's the church that I started getting really plugged into my first youth group with. That's a church that I started serving the homeless and found a love for the homeless. Everything was going awesome. Had the girl. I was the new hip kid at church. That was until we got pregnant. Then things changed. Then I wasn't this bright and shining star anymore. Then I was just this kid whom... I guess I'm kind of putting words into their mouths, but it's the way they made me feel, um, whom never even truly believed that he was a Christian, that 
obviously I didn't have the right kind of heart to begin with. Otherwise, I wouldn't be in the situation that I'm in. I went from being lovingly embraced one day to completely ignored the next. I saw how Christians respond to people that are the other for the first time in my experience. I wasn't the good kid in the youth group. I was the bad kid who got his girlfriend pregnant. And that hurt. It hurt a lot. It stung. We'll play out that story more and more as we unpack it today. But I can't help shake this notion that while we as Christians might be willing to say that we know how God views us, and to say that we know how we're supposed to view others and how we're supposed to act, then in practicality, we just don't do it. And I believe that's one of the reasons why Jesus was kind of calling us out here in Matthew 25. This was Jesus' last teaching to his followers before the Last Supper and the crucifixion came, so it was an important one. It's the last thing he said to his group of followers, so I think it's important to listen to. This is a teaching on identity and how we might be getting it wrong. And by the way, it's consistent with his first very important teaching, which was the Sermon on the Mount. Very consistent with that and how we're supposed to view others, and it might be different than the way society does it. He's telling us that we might be in danger of doing things wrong. He's telling us that we might be in danger of actually experiencing what the world's been telling us all this time about the things that we say versus the things that we do. This parable of the sheep and goats certainly does tell of eternal implications, right? He talks about eternity in these verses. But I want to stress that he's also talking about the kingdom now. From this perspective of an internal God who's everywhere at all times and all places, outside of time itself even, he's not just talking about something in the future, but he's talking about something that he's experiencing now. And he's trying to tell us that we have a real potential to talk about this kingdom, this great kingdom of heaven, that this verse and other verses talk about, it's telling us that church, we could do that now. We don't have to wait for death. We don't have to wait for eternity. This is something that he wants us to be about now. It's no secret among us that our culture is experiencing a lot of polarization, right? And we know that a lot of that is very much politically driven this day, these days. We have examples from across the spectrum of lessening the value of people that don't share the same worldview that we do. We're locking ourselves into corners, compartmentalizing all of our beliefs, and being safe with our own people, all the while villainizing and saying that everybody else has it wrong and we just can't communicate with them. This brings me to my second point. Don't let fear paralyze you. Don't let fear paralyze you. 
I mentioned kind of having this feeling that the doors were being shut on me, and not just me, but my girlfriend at the time. And I wanted to be so protective of us. We had family that agreed with the path that we wanted to go down and family that, we, that didn't agree with the path that we wanted to go down. And it was hard enough, as you can imagine, just being in the situation without worrying about judgy Christians. I didn't want to come back to church. I didn't want to experience it again. If this was Jesus, if this is what his followers treated people like, I didn't want to have anything to do with it. But that really cool girlfriend at the time convinced me that maybe I was experiencing some fear and that it was paralyzing me. That at her church, Grace, she wasn't experiencing the same things. At her church, she was experiencing literal grace, love, some understanding, and she begged me to come and try out grace again. If it was not for her convincing me to come and try out grace again, then I don't know if I would ever be standing in front of you at this moment. The story of the sheep and the goats is a story about us. But it's not faithfully told when it's only told or understood within the context of who's making it into eternity or not. Fear is used by those in our world that want to dominate us, that want to dominate the world. Our political leaders use it for their own political advantage. Businesses use it for private profit. Groups of all kinds use it to advance their own personal agendas. But when we read with faith rather than fear in this passage, we are actually moved into a place that empowers us to more resemble the kingdom of heaven that God was wanting us to resemble. When we read with faithfulness, the scripture shifts from a prospect of damnation to the prospect of participation. This is both in the kingdom of heaven to come, but also the kingdom of heaven to realize now. Fear causes people to fixate on many things that they have not done or cannot do, wish they could do, which all obscures their ability to see the innumerable, essential things that they can do. Oh, I had so much food, I threw it away. Now I feel guilty because I could have given it to starving children. Ah, when I drove by that homeless person, I turned my head away because I didn't want to make eye contact, and making eye contact with homeless people is weird and awkward. Now I feel guilty about it. I have too much clothing. I don't wear all these clothes. I should go and give them to a thrift store or somebody that needs them. I'm too afraid of hospitals to go and visit my sick friend. Fear of the unknown can cripple us. Point three. It is in your brokenness that you were made to be given. With discernment, comes clarity about the simplicity of the task before us and our God-given ability to faithfully fulfill them. Food, water, clothing, hospitality, companionship, and the most basic of gifts and abilities available to us are meant so that we can all live life together. 
living life together is one of the two foundational elements of what it is that we do at the blender each week with our high schoolers. Living life together and learning about Jesus. You don't have to hang out with one of our teenagers too long before they'll say, learn about Jesus, live life together, we get it. But if you want a story about paralyzation and fear, let me tell you about high school small groups on Wednesday nights. Let me tell you about what it's like to be in a hot tub of 10 high school boys alone and the types of conversations that can come about in that reality. It can be paralyzing. Above and beyond that, Michelle Fleming works with our high school girls on Wednesday nights. You want to see a deer in headlights, paralyzed fear sometimes, come and sit down with a group of teenage girls, just you and them, and hear some of the stories and the things that can come about. I, imagine, I know you guys can imagine what some of those conversations might look like. But we do it because we understand our own brokenness and we can be transparent with our teens about the lives that we've lived. We do it because we know that if we don't sit down with them on Wednesday nights and talk about the stuff they really need to talk about, that no one else will. We know it's because doors close on them. Or they're afraid that doors will close if they mention some of the questions and the doubts that they have about faith, life, or anything else. So myself, Michelle, other Blender leaders show up each week faithfully. Not because we think we're the best at everything, but because we know God has given us a heart and the gifts that he's given us to be able to reach them. It doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian, how long you've been coming to grace, because all this passage calls for is for us to serve in ways firmly within our grasp. All Jesus is asking for is what he's already given us to give others. This is a reassuring lesson from a story so commonly portrayed as frightening and paralyzing. This scripture is so commonly interpreted as, you better do this or else. But what if all along Jesus has been telling us, wow, look what you just did. Can you imagine the potential if you kept doing that? Christians have long concentrated on right belief, good teaching, proper theological understanding of God, how that all works together in their world. We've formed councils to talk about it. We've written creeds. We've even fought wars to tell us how and what we're supposed to believe about God. Now, what we believe about God is important. But what we believe about God is directly correlated to how we see our givenness to others. What we honestly believe about God is directly correlated to how we live our lives, how we learn about Jesus, and both of those determine how we are interacting in the world around us. Doctrine is helpful in shaping our beliefs, but it can be the dangerous stumbling block preventing the gospel from advancing if we're not careful. Doctrine almost prevented the very man that's standing up in front of you today preaching about this from even exploring Christianity. Often people somehow feel less Christian because they have trouble being transparent with their lives. 
what's crazy about this, us as the American church, is that we actually don't have to worry about where our water comes from, or for most of us, where we're going to sleep tonight, where our food comes from, or even that we might be thrown in jail after this sermon just for listening to it. Those aren't things that as the American church we have to worry about. But maybe for us, maybe for us as the American church, we might feel less Christian or be struggling with this givenness because we don't truly believe that we were chosen, blessed, broken, or given. Now, because I took my girlfriend at the time up on her offer to come back and try Grace, I didn't know what I was going to expect. Nobody really knew me other than I was just the boyfriend. And I probably even had a sense that people knew I was going to come. Like maybe even some things were kind of said, oh, you know, boyfriend's going to come this week. Let's make sure that we're nice. But I was blown away by the love I experienced in this room. Complete strangers coming up to me and hugging me. A little awkward at first, but they looked me in the eye. You all looked me in the eye. Many of the people in that room that day are here today too. You all looked me in the eye and you told me that you loved me. You told me that you cared about me. And you told me that I wasn't alone. That day, Grace really took hold of their name and purpose and allowed a scared 17-year-old kid to, for the first time, understand givenness, for the first time see God through you, through the church body. Grace understood and has been understanding their givenness for many years after that to this day. But still we live in a broken world. Still we have people looking at us and saying, don't really think Christianity is for me because of the way that we're living out our lives. So I'd like to position something, a theory that I have of why that might be. It might be because we either don't believe that we're chosen or that we don't truly believe that we're blessed, or we don't truly believe that we're broken, or that we truly think we should be given in any aspect. I think if there's even one of those things that you're struggling with, then it's breaking the chain. And I think it can lead to some of the behaviors and the things out in the world that our families and our friends around us and culture see. I also truly believe that if you're struggling with one of those things, I want you to be in a life group. I want you to have community that you can go to and be transparent with that will both accept you and live life with you and allow you to live life with them. If you're not in a life group, talk to Sue, talk to myself, we will get you in a life group. If you are struggling with doubts about faith, we have two alphas going on right now. You got Alpha at the Roadrunner Cafe, on Wednesday nights, and we got Youth Alpha going strong on Sunday nights here too. Come, talk, explore, ask. If you're hurting and grieving, we have Grief Share. 
We have divorce care. There's tons of community here that you can plug into. And if you're not a part of one of those, I really, really, really want to encourage you to do so. Will you pray with me? Father God, I just thank you for this day. Thank you for your word on givenness. Father God, I personally thank you for many of the people that are in this room now, many of the people that you put in my path in these last 18 years, almost 19 years now, that have come alongside me and been willing to show me Jesus when I didn't want to see Jesus myself. Father God, I help, help us understand our givenness. Help us embrace our givenness as we leave here today. Put people in our paths that you would have us live life with, that you would have us share Jesus with. Help us embrace our givenness. And maybe you're sitting here today and you've been struggling with Jesus and God. And maybe you've been a Christian most of your life, some of your life, but you've been deeply hurt by the church, by the very organization and place that you're supposed to be safe in. They're the ones that have cut you the deepest. I hope you know that is not Jesus. That isn't Jesus. If you've never had the opportunity or chosen to make the step to, to follow Jesus, I want to give you an opportunity right now to do so. Just repeat uh, in the silence of your heart after me. Father God, I'm broken. I've lived my life in ways that I know you don't like. And I don't like them either. But today I really want to understand my identity. I really want to claim my identity that you've chosen me and blessed me, broken me so that I could come and understand you more, which also is equipping me to go out and give to others. God, come into my heart and forgive me. In Jesus' name, amen.